Welcome to the Get to Vet podcast, where we bridge the knowledge gaps in the military transition process so you can focus on what's ahead. Hey there, Get to Vet, Trevor Maxwell here, and with me as always is my partner in podcasting. Mike Riggs, great to be back. And uh, we've got, uh, you know, a follow-up to the last episode we recorded with Jose. Uh, You know, we talked about the importance of the Benefits Delivery Discharge Program, and we wanted to go, Jose had a a list here of some very specific, uh, kind of like a top 10 list of, of claims to discuss today. Uh, and you know, so if you're working with the VSO, hopefully you're listening to this and, you know, kind of get their opinion as well, because we all know, you know, opinions are like assholes and, uh, right. Yep. Of course, yours only smells good to you, but, uh, Jose, uh, thanks for coming back again and, and getting into this, but, uh, I know you got your list, so let's, let's start walking through it. Yeah. So, you know, I think I thought it would thanks guys for having me on again, of course. And, and, and so I wanted to kind of go over this. And like I said, at the, before we started is the disclaimer is that this is not a list that I came up with. Um, any one of us can go Google top 10 VA disability claim list, and you're going to find any number of organizations that has this. Um, I don't want, you know, I'm not promoting any one organization over another. So that's why I'm not going to name the, the, where I got this specific list from, but uh, there's there's a number of them out there that you can go through. I thought it was, in reading this one, I thought it was pretty interesting. And this is stuff that's pretty general, I think that everyone has. So without delay, let's start with uh, number 10 uh, on the list. We're gonna work our way backwards. Um, most people that serve in the military uh, at any capacity, uh, it doesn't matter the job they have, whether it's sedentary or more active. Um, you're going to have the, I think you have this, and I think a lot of people have this, and this is degenerative arthritis of the spine. You know, this, in, this specific one is the list of the top 10 most common VA disability claims. So I think we can all agree that uh, arthritis of the spine or some kind of degeneration of the spine occurs throughout your career. Like I said, regardless of what level of, of job or MOS or NEC you do in the military, you're going to have some sort of degenerative changes, whether it's hereditary or whether it's uh, induced through military service. So that's number 10, right? So um, when you get ready to start your VA claim and you're going through the BDD process, if you have this, this is one of the things that I think, I don't know, that, that I know I have. So I can agree with number 10 because I have it. I have degenerative disc disease and degenerative changes of the spine. I deal with it all the time. And uh, Mike, I don't know if you have it, Trevor, I don't know if you have it, but you can probably speak to uh, a good number of veterans and they all have similar uh, issues with their spine, right? In some capacity, right? Yep. So, Actually, you, so, you helped me with that one on mine. So, you know, so what does it say about that? You know, so I'll go into a little bit of that. Uh, you know, when you look at number, when you look at that specific case, uh, it's important that, like we discussed before, to annotate everything in your record. Make sure that you have any history of physical therapy, any surgeries, any injections, anything like that annotated correctly. So when you do file your VA claim, it's, it's in there and it's diagnosed. Uh, because one of the recent things I found out with one of my claims is that if it goes undiagnosed, sometimes they will not recognize it so much so so that's number 10 uh number nine migraines right a lot of people uh, complain of migraines now we know in in your in your particular field which is a lot of the sf guys eod spec war that type of communities um, because of your exposure to reoccurring blast injuries or just reoccurring training because that you do, I th- you correct me if I'm wrong, you probably are exposed to more training uh, blasts than you are to combat related blasts just because of the nature of your job. You have to train, you have to get good at what you do. And the only way to do that is, is by practice, 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 I would imagine. Yeah. Um, I think, so, uh, Mike, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think 
the the when we went through the training unit together, one of the things that we had to do was the was it the K eighteen or the K nine shot? Where eighteen, yeah. That that's like uh, if you don't K eighteen is like the minimum safe distance for a breaching charge, uh, and and so what they did was that's how you calculate the minimum safe distance from a blast, right? It's one third of the ex, or a cube root of the explosive weight times the K factor. And K-18 is about as close as they want you to get to an explosion because it's, you know, keeps your, it's right on the borderline of keeping your eardrums from rupturing. So we had to, I think we did like a K-18 on a C-4 block and we were pretty goddamn close. Yep. The other thing is if you talk to like some of these medical professionals that if you can actually feel it, you're like in any capacity that's way too much for your head. You know, your brain housing unit is suffering quite a bit, even at a, at like a, you know, very far distance. If you can feel the shockwave, your brain's not made to take that kind of crap. So when you can imagine, you know, run across the gamut of, uh, you know, rates and MOSs across the military, you start looking at somebody who's in like artillery firing those freaking one, five, five, those paladins, Holy shit, mm-hmm. those things are freaking ridiculously loud. A mortar team? You ever been around a 120 mortar? Let me tell you, it doesn't sound like it does on TV. It's not a thunk, and then it takes off out of the tube. That thing will knock the shit out of you. Um, you know, Carl Gustav's um, 50 cows, repeated exposure in the kill house. I mean, I would argue that, like, if you ever been in a kill house with somebody that has a suppressed 10-inch upper on their M4, and they're shooting in a general direction towards you in the, in the kill house and you feel that muzzle, you know, the pressure coming off that muzzle, that shit is loud too. Uh, crashes in the kill house, freaking uh, breaching charges in the kill house, any of that kind of stuff. I, I think, and people will discount it because, you know, they think you need to have that one big one overseas, uh, you know, in Iraq or Afghanistan where it just completely knocks you on your ass, which a lot of us have had, but, you know, there's a cumulative uh, quantitative effect overall that occurs in your brain over the time that you're doing some of these jobs. And I think some people, you know, they, they kind of discount that through the, the time that they've been training for, you know, to go go to war or go whatever, just to do the jobs that we do. But uh, just because you didn't get knocked out on, you know, on any training evolution or combat evolution, Man, I think you still got to kind of look back and go, well, that Gustav, you're only supposed to shoot like two Illum rounds, I think, in that thing, uh, because it, uh-huh. is that, it is that concussive. Uh, and, of course, we didn't find that out until probably after we were done with them, and we had shot probably a, a couple of cases of them. Um, <laughs> Rocket and, day. Yep, yep. You see the backblast of a Gustav versus an AT4 versus a Law, and the Gustav is absolutely scorched earth behind that thing. I mean, it is quite the powerful and very it's a very good tool to have but yeah i just want to add that that you know just because you didn't get you know you're not bleeding out of your ears and your nose uh on on the blast you've had blast exposures you've had doesn't mean that you didn't accumulate a lot of injuries to your head uh along the way when i when i was at when i was at c37 when we were doing house runs those guys use crashes so much I was going to make t-shirts for him. It just said banging dudes left and right. And <laughs> and that's the thing. That's a great point because, you know, when you like, especially for us in our previous occupation, we got to support a lot of different people. And, you know, I remember supporting SF guys and they would crash and chase after it. I mean, they throw the crash deep into the room and then they all run after it like a lab. Uh, whereas, you know, we were with the, the NSW you crash, you tell the number one guy, crash the room, and then you would enter the room after the crash goes off. Well, sometimes people, you know, the number one guy may be a little bit nervous or, you know, he gets the little bit of lab syndrome in him as well. And you're throwing it shallow into the room and then he chases after it. And like the number one mortal sin or number two mortal sin, number one being shooting your buddy in a kill house. Number two is not going after the number one guy enters the room and leaving him in there by himself. So uh, you have to go in there and enjoy 
that that bang that you know flashbang as it goes off you know probably near your feet or something like that so uh yeah i'm, I'm glad you brought that up yeah so you know and so that you know there's obviously there's many causes of migraines but uh, traumatic brain injury is is definitely a cause of a migraine and i know a lot of guys that have migraines due to that amongst other, many other things right so this you know and to say this this data where does this data come from it, it comes from the va so a lot of these lists come from VA data. And in this case, uh, that's where this originated from. So looking at the number nine most common VA disability claim for all veterans across all demographics, right? And why do they say that? Because migraines are high value. They're a high value claim. So likely, you're likely to kick off with 30% or higher off a migraine headache if you have those migraine headaches. Now, one thing that people get confused with is that the types of headaches. There are many types of headaches, and I'm not going to go into all the different types. One, because it's been a while since I've been in medicine, and I don't want to give the wrong information. However, there are. A migraine headache is not the same as a cluster headache or a tension headache, right? Or that regular headache that you get every once in a while after you know you tie one on the night before. Completely different, so don't confuse those. Make sure that you're getting the right diagnosis, right? Um, and what are migraines? Migraines are a neuro neurological condition right? A serious neuro neurological condition, and it can be rated anywhere from zero to however the highest is, I don't know, 50, 100%. So that is number nine. So many of you that are listening, and if you experience from migraine headaches, yeah, that's number nine on the list, right? Um, uh, and so as we move through it, and now we're looking at uh, number eight on the list. And number eight on the list is, is, is a lot of ankle issues. It's specifically uh, any kind of mobility issue with your ankles, one or both of them. According to the VA, this is one, this is the eighth most common uh, VA disability claim. 92% of veterans are rated between zero and 20% for mobility issues of their ankle. Um, and so these ratings can go as low as zero, of course, uh, and some go as high as 20%. So anytime you think most of us in the military, what do we do? We're, we're running, we're PTing, we're exercising. Even if you're a musician in the Army, a musician in the Marine Corps, a musician in the Navy, you still are required to PT. And, and, and depending, I don't know how much you would PT as an Air Force musician or a Navy musician, but probably not as much as an as a EOD guy or any of the other ground forces, a grunt or anything like that. However, we, uh, we twist our ankles quite a bit. We have a lot of ankle injuries because of what we do. And some of those can be painful motion. It could be arthritis. It could be weakness. It could be um, because you have ligament or tendon tears, because you have fractures. And so you have a lot of people that are transitioning out of the military that claim ankle issues. And along with that, there's one on here that I think is not on here. I think it should be included. If there was a top 11 list, I'd include it. Plantar fasciitis. Plantar fasciitis is pretty common amongst military uh, members. And so if you do have, if you have experienced plantar fasciitis, that's something that you really need to look at and make sure that you get annotated and also as part of your VA claim. So I don't know if you guys have had a lot of uh, ankle issues, but I know I've had throughout my time with the Marines and, and, and stuff like that in PT. And I've, I can't even remember how many times I've sprained my ankle um, on any little thing. Now it gets to the point where, you know, I look at a curve of my ankle sprains just by looking at it. So, um, same. So that's, you know, actually, I think my worst one was when I was a caddy for Mike's team during the, the CPO season. I don't know if Mike remembers that, but the service connected. Yeah. yeah. I sprained my ankle really bad. And I had, I think, uh, I had Eric Frampton gave up his seat on the golf cart for me. <laughs> So, so yeah, so, I mean, moving on to, let's see, number seven on the list, we have paralysis of the sciatic nerve, right? And then, so the VA once again says, this is one of the most common uh, VA disability claims for all veterans across all demographics, once again. And most of the people that have sciatic pain or sciatica, which is a numbness or tingling down one or both sides of your of, of the back. You know, you have lower back pain, herniated discs. Sometimes you complain of this 
burning numbness tingling sensation that radiates uh, down your down your butt and sometimes it stop it stops halfway behind your knee and it stops at your knee and then sometimes it goes all the way down your foot and all the way down your toes right and and, and so that's it originates from the sciatic nerve because of some kind of lumbar spine injury that you've acquired um, most people that have this kind of uh, kind of uh, symptom or condition uh, typically, they rate anywhere between zero and twenty percent, depending on this, the severity uh, of their pain and of their numbness and tingling. So, most of us have that. I know I had that. I know that's one of the things that I got rated for twenty percent was my back because I do have a herniated disc, and part of the symptoms was that is that my disc was pushing on my sciatic nerve, which was causing that numbness and tingling down my left leg. Uh, some people have it so bad that they get a foot drop. Uh, because of it. So um, once again, you know, if, if you are experiencing these kind of things, make sure you go into your record, make sure you're going to the doctor, make sure you're getting all the proper documentation and make sure this is part of the part of your claim. Um, because uh, it's important to make sure that you get that rated as well. Then, you know, looking at, you know, a lot of, you know, when you look at this list, and, and when you look at lists or very lists similar to this, you're, it's, it's a lot of spinal injuries. We're looking at a lot of veterans with a lot of spinal injuries. So number number six, you're looking at cervical strain or lumbar sacral strain. So you know your, the cervical strain is your neck, right? We have a lot of people that because of the wear the wearing of their uh, Kevlar helmets or whatever other equipment they have on, uh, they have a lot of cervical issues. And those cervical issues can also radiate to what if you got from the cervix, you have all the all the c-spine you have all the nerves that go down into your arms and things like that your upper body and so because of that then you have secondary issues such as shoulder arms hands issues like that because you did something to your cervical spine or your neck so once again this va sees a lot of these things they see a lot of a lot of veterans submitting va claims for these kinds of conditions uh what is a lumbar or sacral cervical strain uh, well according to the definition it's a stretched or torn muscle or tendon in your neck Right, and sometimes it can affect uh, the nerves in that area, and and sometimes it can affect other parts. Uh, sometimes it's linked to overuse or trauma, some sort of trauma caused training accidents, jumping. Think about uh, think about all the jumping you guys did in the military, right? And what that does to your to your spine in general, uh, especially when you do a hard landing, right? So. Uh, on ships, on the boats that you have to be on, on planes, if you're taking off, uh, if you're doing, um, what is it, uh, aircraft carrier landings and you're taking off, uh, doing those kind of things, that's a lot of hard banging and a lot of hard trauma to your cervical spine. So don't the things that can be caused because of that. Don't the SWIC guys, like, uh, I, I got to imagine that those guys have a shitload of that. Oh, I can't yes, even imagine. They do. Okay, I mean, yes, uh, I, mean, it, 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 I mean, I bet you if you take one, if you take a, uh, a total body spinal x-ray of those guys after 20 years of service in the SWIC community, their, their backs are just not even functional anymore. Because even, even with the technology that they have for the boats, you know, that they have the little cushiony, the shock absorbing uh, seats that they have on those boats, they still get a lot of, a lot of jarring and, and stuff like that to their spine. So... Well, that's the other interesting thing too that comes to mind talking about like SWIC guys. Cause I've heard of this, you know, in the, you know, doing some research and stuff, these guys that race these jet skis and stuff that are submitting their bodies to a similar, you know, violent wave or maritime environment like that, that repeated jarring. And, you know, you see your body jarring like that. Well, your, your brain is relatively free floating in there with brain fluid surrounding it but it's in there doing the exact same thing. And they were talking about yep. guys developing that stuff over the, the point of, you know, racing jet skis or, you know, and I imagine it'd be the same thing with the, the boat guys. You know, the other thing is, you know, we're talking about this and the, the spine and the, you know, the neck, you know, we used to wear those Mitch helmets. I remember and we'd put our NVGs on the front and you'd have to counterweight it with like a, I think it was like a two pound or a three pound weight in the back. So, you know, all in all, you're probably putting almost maybe not for me because I got a giant, I got a giant melon, but you know, on average person is probably doubling the weight of their head by putting that helmet on, 
you know, a light uh, IR strobe on the top, uh, your MVGs. And, and then you take a look at some of those. I remember the army dudes when we were over there in country, especially the, the big green guys, and man, they look like Knights of the round table with all the shit that they were wearing, all the, all the body armor down their arms, you know, the groin protectors and so on and so forth. I was like, Holy cow that, I mean, I thought, you know, we'd roll out it'd feel a little bit heavy because you had a rucksack of, you know, your equipment and explosives and so on and so forth in the back in your, on your back. But man, these dudes just look weighted down and, you know, you jump out of a jerv or a, you know, MRAP from what, two, three feet at least. And then you're doing that how many X amount of times a day while you're wearing an extra 75 to hundred pounds of uh, body armor and equipment on. Uh, I can see where this is going to tear the, you know, the skeleton up. Yeah, absolutely. I remember uh, my, my, during my deployment, during my deployment to Fallujah, um, I was with the Marines at the time. And I remember we had that same kind of body armor where it was, we had our sappy plates, we had to put that on, and then we had the gator, and then we had the shoulder pads that we had to put on, and the groin protector, and on top of that, being the corpsman, I had to strap my, you know, my med bag to the back of that, you know, uh, and even though I, 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 you know, I, um, I spread my medical supplies out to the, to my unit, you know, everyone had their own bleeding kits and everything else on and on their person so if something happened i would use their stuff first it still didn't negate the fact that i still needed to carry around 80 pounds of medical gear on my back on top of my weapon on top of the full combat load with all the with all your rounds and everything else in front of you so you're carrying what 100 conservatively probably what 120 pounds on you when you when you go outside the wire at any given moment um i can't imagine what the bomb suit, I don't know what that bomb suit weighs or how long you guys had to be in that bomb suit, but that's also something that jars your system, I would imagine, having to walk in that thing and having to work in that thing. I think the only time I ever actually wore the bomb suit was in training. <laughs> I wore it on one call in Djibouti and it was in the summertime. And I was hoping that I would that the device would go off because it was so hot in that thing. I was like, please just kill me now because if I walk back up, I'm going to pass out and I'm never going to hear the end of the shit from my guys on my team. So, but somehow I made it. There you go. So, so you, when you look at, when you look at, finally, when you look at under uh, some of these, they give me the code. So VA ratings for lumbar, sacral, and cervical strain fall under diagnosis code 5237 and have ratings between zero and 100%. So if you're having these kind of symptoms, you fall anywhere between zero to 100%. Um, all right. So, uh, number five, let's look at number five knees. So that's limitation of flexion of the knee. So we know that knee issues plague the majority of service members. And once again, this is also a very high reading within the VA. Um, over 90% of veterans, uh, claim some sort of knee disability. These knees can, this rating can be anywhere from, you know, they say here zero to 20%, but I'm pretty sure it can go higher than that, depending on what your issues are. And, and depending on the structure of your knee, whether it's recurrent ACL tear, whether it's a meniscal tear, whether it's a ligament strain, whether it's you, you fractured your patella, tore your patella tendon, you have arthritis in your knee, you have to get joint injections to where your your um, cartilage, cartilage is totally gone, and now you have to do uh, injections that, that lead to total knee replacements. This is something that's very, very common. I'm going through it now. I have uh, I had a meniscal tear that I've had all the way back when I was in the service, and I still have it. And uh, uh, you know, in my journey, uh, they missed it somehow. So now I had to reopen my VA claim so that they can include my, uh, my meniscal tear uh, of my knee in there. So uh, definitely a condition that the majority of us have and that you need to be aware of as well as you move through your VA claim process. Scars, I think scars is something that we all hear of, right? Number four, uh, we talk about, um, oh, you know, I have all these scars from these little nicks and cuts and things like that. But a lot of people claim scars uh, as part of their VA claim. 76% according to the VA, 76% of veterans are rated zero for skin conditions and 18% of veterans have a 
have a 10% reading for skin conditions. Once again, making scars a low value VA claim. So you, they, they break it down between what's a high value and a low value. So scars, they consider low value. Um, so when you're looking at skin conditions, uh, such as scars and things like that, you're looking at where they are on your body. Are they affecting mobility? You know, are they are you know are they really uh, causing some kind of disruption in your quality of life and things like that? Looking at that severity, some some scars are worse than others. Obviously, depending on the location on your face, um, joints, hands, things like that. And then some people develop what they call keloids. Uh, keloids are, are are an over um, how do I say this? An overworking uh, or an overproduction of scar tissue, and it develops and and it can cause it can be very disruptive, and it can also be pretty unsightly if it's anywhere around your face and your neck and things like that. So most of us dismiss this. You know, most of us, I think this is this is something that's also dismissed. Oh, they have a scar. Don't worry about it. That doesn't bother me. But I wouldn't. I'd, I'd include it in there. You know, I definitely include it in there. Yeah, I'm looking at mine right now. I I claimed one. I got a where I ruptured my spleen. And they had to do uh, exploratory surgery to make sure that was the only thing that was bleeding because I was, mm -hmm. I had massive blood loss. But uh, my scar, they measured it at 33 centimeters and then they do a width measurement for, they're looking at square centimeters yep. for how, they, how they're going to rate it. Um, I mean, needless to say, I got zero for it, but I, I claimed it anyway just to get it yeah. on the books. Yeah, and you got zero. So which means that if something ever happened to that scar, you can always increase it. You know, they, yep. it's yeah, so that's good. And that's a that's a good point you make. And I think a lot of people think, well, I'm not gonna put it in because all I'm gonna get is zero. Well, zero is better than nothing. Zero is is a start, it's a percentage, right? And, and so you can only go up from there. You know, it, it's a lot harder to claim something if they say it's not service connected or you have you have nothing at all, then you you have the burden of proof. Even more of a burden of proof if you get no service connection at all. But if you got zero, that means at least they recognized it. So, so the next one I think is is um, is very common, especially over the last 14, 15 years, right? Uh, PTSD. According to this number three, the easiest thing to claim for VA disability is post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, I think they. I think why they say it's the easiest is because we've actually made a lot of progress and the recognition, treatment, diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder more so than any other time in military history. You know, when you looked at World War One, when you looked at World War Two, uh, and all the other conflicts, uh, you know, it was shell shock, it was under other names, and a lot of the times veterans were dismissed. You know, uh, you know families would often say, well, he never came back the same. He was, he was always happy and now he came back and he's angry and, you know, drank too much or whatever, whatever, whatever the case may be. And it wasn't until, uh, until after 9-11 that we really started developing and recognizing what post-traumatic stress um, is, what the symptoms are and how to treat them. So in this example, 90% of veterans are rated 30% or higher for mental health, while 41% of veterans are rated 70% or higher, right? So therefore mental, mental health conditions, including PTSD, major depressive disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, somatic symptom disorder, among others are high value claims. A lot of times PTSD kind of goes hand in hand with major depressive disorder. It kind of goes hand in hand with anxiety. Uh, and it kind of, and it goes hand in hand with TBIs. Uh, sometimes I've seen those go together because if you have a traumatic brain injury, it's probably you got your bell rung once or twice and it was due to a traumatic event. Whether it was at a bar and you got clocked in the back of the head or, or you were out and you were you know, outside the wire and you were doing whatever it is that you were doing and then something happened and, and you experienced that, those kind of traumatic events. So. Yeah, and so I think when you look value. at the uh, symptoms between mm -hmm the TBI symptoms and uh, PTSD symptoms, when you overlap, well, they overlap in a VIN, for lack of better terms, a VIN diagram uh, in a, there are very, there's what, I think there's maybe 
13 or 15 of them that are in total and then mm -hmm. like they share 12 or like the vast majority 75 80 percent of the symptoms for both are common and uh and so the other thing i, I kind of want to harp on on this one as well for one i i hate the d part of this uh mm -hmm. so i'm going to go on a soapbox a little bit um because i think especially anybody like all three of us that went to you know went to iraq or afghanistan you never i won't say never the only psychopaths and sociopaths go to war and come back the same way so uh you're going to come back different um and this wasn't really brought to light probably some of it was the way i was raised through the community but it wasn't until later on i started getting a lot more um intelligent about it um you know, when, and I think a lot of it has to do with some of us, you know, a lot of us are very good at compartmentalizing things and thinking, you know, there's, there's really nothing wrong. I'm good to go. Well, there's going to be an eventually a time where you're going to unpack all that crap and it's a matter of time and it may not be today. It may not be tomorrow, but it's going to happen. Um, so, you know, people need to, you know, I think once you end up, sitting down with some folks at mental health, like you had, like I had to do it intrepid spirit or NICO and you start talking about things and you're like, well, it's normal to me because I, this is, this is normal to me. This is my normal. Uh, and then you, you, you know, you talk to these folks and they're like, eh, that's not really what normal looks like. And I'm like, you know, we're not normal to begin with because we signed up to do this ridiculous job. So we're a little bit off the, you know, to the right of the spectrum to begin with, but, um, yeah, I just wanted people to understand that just because, you know, you, you don't go to a restaurant and sit, you know, you know, you're back to the wall with your hand on your concealed carry weapon or whatever, as you're having dinner, you know, that doesn't, I'm being, you know, I'm aggravate or exaggerating this crap, but, uh, people need to take, uh, you know, be a little bit more self-aware and not get caught up in the imposter syndrome that, you know, uh, you know, I, I'm fine. You know, I'm fine. Well, you need to be honest with yourself and and really uh, take a look at this one in particular, because I think this one, you know, because you talk about migraines, stuff like that. There's pain associated with the vast majority of things we've been talking about, pain or discomfort. A lot of times this type of shit, the pain and discomfort isn't necessarily felt by you. So, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I, I would highly recommend people take a look at this one and, and really consider uh, the things they've been through and, and those types of things before they go, no, I'm good. Uh, next, move on to the next thing. So that's yeah, sorry to on my soapbox there. No, that's a good point. That's a very good point. And you're right. Over the last few years, they've a lot of the medical community has really uh, pushed back against the, the, the disorder part to the point where, um, a lot of times now it's, it, it's been diagnosed PTS, right? So traumatic, uh, post-traumatic stress, and they leave the disorder out of it because of a lot of what you just said, you know, and, and, and just so you know, a lot of, we've kind of focus on combat stuff, but there's a lot of uh, non-combat related PTSD. And I see it every day uh, in my practice is what I do. Um, I see a lot of, I still see combat uh, years later, you know, these guys that were E5s, E6s that are now E7, E8, E9, uh, you know, 05s and above, 04s and above that are now more executive level uh, in their careers. And now it's just starting to haunt them. It really is starting to become uh, insurmountable. They used they would handle it, but now they can't handle it as much. Um, so there's all different types of varying conditions. So you have the combat, you have non-combat PTSD, which includes military sexual trauma, and then other forms of trauma that you may have witnessed prior to the military or while in the military. So I yeah, know that's, that goes. Yeah, I was, I was saying, you know, the, the, the disorder part about that really, you know, I harp on it a lot. Mm -hmm. and, and the reason is, just like you're saying, if, if you were to say non-combat related, and let's say, uh, you know, I, I get in a car and I, you know, like for instance, for me, this is a true, true life one. My aunt and uncle, my wife and I were going to dinner one evening at like six something. We're cruising down Granby Street in Norfolk. This drunk guy pulls in front of us. We're going about 40, 
or so, 45 miles an hour, and we T-boned the dude. And somehow the car was completely destroyed. Uh, the, the dudes, there were two dudes in the Nissan Pathfinder that were drunk. So, you know, every time I go by that area, it kind of, I get kind of like a, oh, yeah, here's where it happened, you know, uh, and had that. And the reason I say this type of stuff, like if someone is involved in a, you know, a sexual assault or they're a victim of sexual assault or they're a victim of an assault or whatever it may be, it doesn't have to be combat related. You, if, if that doesn't change you in one way, shape, or form, that in itself is the disorder. Because the next time you feel remotely close to that situation, you know, either it may be a, the same setting, it may be, uh, you know, whatever it is, it brings you back to that time and your heart rate goes up, your heart rate variability goes to, the, goes to crap and so on and so forth. You know, that, that in itself, that's normal. If you didn't feel that, that's that's not normal. So that is the disorder is to go through it all and go, oh, combat, that wasn't anything. Uh, you know, victim of sexual assault, uh, so what? Just another day at the office. You know, that that and it's, that is why it bothers me so much that they call it the disorder because that's the normal. Post-traumatic stress normal is what it should be. I'm off yeah. my soapbox. <laughs> no, 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 those are good points. Those are very, very good points. You know, you're not alone in feeling that way, so. Definitely not. Um, I, I have, uh, I hear it quite a bit uh, with, with, in my program. So, all right. So um, PTSD, moving on to number two. The number two most common VA disability claim is hearing loss. Uh, so according to the VA, uh, it is number two because 93% of veterans are rated between zero and 10%. It is very common for hearing loss to be rated at 0%. That is, if you're lucky enough to get your hearing loss service connected, sometimes they have difficulties doing that. So what do you have to do? I hear a lot of this too. What do, you want, what do I have to do to get a hearing aid? Or what do I have to get diagnosed as hearing loss? Well, you need to have accurate audiograms. And some, some rates and jobs in the military require you to have annual hearing exams. Uh, and I used to run that program, hearing conservation program as a corpsman was a big thing for us. And so especially in your community and working with you guys, we always had to do your audiograms every year. And it was a pain in the butt because I had to get the audio van out to the unit and none of you would show up. <laughs> so <laughs> none of you would show up to them. Guilty uh, as so, charged. Yeah. Because I always knew I'd have to go get rebaseline because it was getting yeah. worse. They'd be like, well, yeah, well, come back, get rebaseline. And right. you're like, sure, I can't wait to come back and do this again. And it was, it was so difficult because re, if you remember, you would go in, you'd get your audiogram, you fail it, uh, rest for tw 24 hours, no noise. Like, well, that's kind of impossible. No loud music, what? No loud, da, 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 you know? And, yeah, right. And then you would come back the next day, 48 hours later or whatever, and then you would get another audiogram and you're like, yeah, your hearing is still jacked up. So we're going to have to rebaseline you, like you just said. And some of you guys had all, you've been rebaselined like a hundred times throughout your careers. Uh, and then you go to NICO and you go to places like Intrepid Spirit and you come away with hearing aids um, because of how much of a hearing loss you had. So uh, some are not as serious as others. However, it is pretty common. Most of us, I have ringing in ears. I got 0%. Um, uh, and my one ear is worse than the other, you know, or better than the other, however you want to look at it. But yes, hearing loss is number two. Let the me cool guess. thing about the hearing aids is like the, the set I have, mm -hmm. they've got like background noises because when my tinnitus or tinnitus for you medical professionals out there, mm -hmm. it puts a background type of noise and it keeps me from going completely insane because that pitch and that tone, the volume of it can get to a ridiculous level. To, mm -hmm. And I don't know what causes it. And I'm, I'm obviously not going to uh, front row at the Rolling Stones just to, you know, with, without an ear pro. Um, but there's, I don't know what stress or exposure, whatever it is, will cause my tinnitus to peak sometimes. And then I got to put those things on just to, you know, hear crickets or waves or campfire or whatever. And the, that is, that's the great part about those. I mean, and then, you know, like for a lot of us, we go to an, an open social setting and I can't hear shit unless I'm looking at somebody you know, and watching their mouth move, you know, otherwise, you know, I've lost the ability to, to really discern 
uh, different people talking in social settings anymore, but that's where the other part of those come in. But, you know, normally day to day, uh, I don't, I, you know, I wear them probably not as frequently as I should, but, uh, you know, I think it's a good tool to have in the toolbox. Yep. And then, and then number me, one, wait, 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 I want to guess. I want to guess. I bet you what I know it? what number one is. What is sleep apnea? Believe it or not. No. What this list? This list, not this list, does not have sleep apnea. Oh, Believe what it or a not, crock of shit. Wow, <laughs> I'm really surprised at that. As I'm well. shocked at that. Yeah, I so thought I, I thought you were gonna be like, yeah, of course. Oh man, I'm well now. I'm no. curious. No, so and, and you're probably gonna think, what, Jose? This is that's it. You know, you know, it's it's actually number two is hearing loss, actual hearing loss, and number one is actually tinnitus or tinnitus. That's the Ugh. number one VA claim across all branches, across all veterans, tinnitus. Why? Because it's the easiest. How can you prove it? Right? I, I always, how can, how can you, how can, you know, how can they disprove that you have tinnitus has always been told. Well, they can't, you know, they, they have to, they have to disprove that you don't have tinnitus. How do they do that? Right? And so the majority of veterans over 90% here again, get rated uh, at 10% for tinnitus or tinnitus, or you get nothing. There is no lower VA rating and there is no higher VA rating. So if you got tinnitus, you're not getting any higher than 10%. That's what you're getting. It's a low value claim. um, And and it's probably one of the easiest to uh, submit a claim. It could it, it could be the difference though between you know if you're hovering between seventy or eighty or eighty or ninety right. or you know right. like if you look at the the VA math on how they do that um, you know that that could be the thing that gets you over to get to the next uh, next thing. Um, one question that that I wanted to ask I had a guy ask me this the other day. Uh, he was he reached out to me about like SBP alternatives and we just started talking about VA disability and maybe you can clarify this because I didn't know um, what's the difference between something being permanent and total and not and I I thought I knew what it was but I wasn't sure so I wanted to ask you while we had you sure. on here so yeah so my interpretation is as far as how I define mm-hmm. if uh, individual is permanent and total versus not permanent total is if if your condition, uh, injury, illness, um, has reached its treatment length, in other words, where your condition is not going to improve and it only can get worse from here on out. So, for example, I'll show you, I'll give you a quick example of that one, which would be degenerative joint disease of your of your spine. Right? Is is your spinal degeneration ever going to improve? No. It's not going to improve. Is it going to get worse as we get older? Absolutely, it's going to get worse. Is there any other further treatment that we can do that can mitigate, uh, you know, or can limit uh, some of the pain or progression of a disease? In some cases, yes, then it wouldn't be permanent or total. In some cases, no, then it would be permanent and total according to how I define. So it's permanent total. To me, the definition of permanent total is a condition that you've acquired that has no uh, no prognosis of, of getting any better than what it's at. And it has a high likelihood, uh, medium to high likelihood of getting worse as you get older. So mm. therefore, that's why they rate you 100% permanent in total. You can't get 90% permanent in total. You can only get 100% permanent in total, which means that the VA has looked at your conditions all of your conditions or one or more of your conditions and said, yeah, Jose, yeah, Mike, yeah, Trevor, we're going to rate you at hundred percent permanent total because your conditions that you have listed, one or more of them are to the point where there's nothing else that medicine can do for you. It's just, Hey, this is, this is your, this is your new quality of life. And this is how you're going to live. And your back is not going to get better. And your knees are not going to get better. And you're going to need a knee replacement in the future. And your tinnitus is not going to get any better. So we're going to rate you at permanent and total because there's nothing else that we can do for you. That is, uh, the doc told me at the ripe old age of 37, he said, yeah, you're probably going to need knee replacements in about 10 years. Yeah. Um, 
Because it's, I mean, I think Mike and I both got 100% permanent in total. And so I, I told him, I was like, I, I'm not 100% sure on this, but I think it just means like, hey, that's it, dude. There, there's no chance of this getting better. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and cool. that's pretty much it. There is no chance, real chance of it getting better. It's they can maintain it. You can get you a therapeutic dose where it's like, you know, you take you take some Motrin, you take this or you take that, and then you, yeah, it'll it'll help you live more comfortably. But it's never going to go away. My yeah. back pain is never going to go away. My sciatic yeah. is never going to go away. I still have it. You know, that permanent total, I know what not to do. Yep. Yeah. A permanent total too is key when folks go to apply for their, whatever their state benefit to being 100% mm -hmm. permanent total. Uh, because if you look at, when we use the state of Virginia, for example, because it's easy where, where we live here, you know, to get your real estate tax exemption, permanent total, uh, to do the car mm -hmm. thing, uh, to buy that one vehicle that they allow, let us have tax-free sales tax and personal property tax has to be permanent total. Uh, so that's a key caveat. I mean, that's the, you know, the cherry on top of it all that, that a lot of these States and, and you know, even with the VA, you know, you're a hundred percent or at the VA, I wasn't, uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure of this, but you know, you, you get priorities uh, at the VA to include dental uh, you get vision, you can get glasses up there, which I haven't done yet. Um, and I'll say other than my first appointment with the VA, which absolutely sucked ever since then, uh, I've been quite surprised by the level of care so far. And the crazy thing is I get like, I think it's $8 and 94 cents every time I go there. Cause I submit a travel claim, which is just as simple as putting your ID in there, hit a couple of buttons, mm -hmm. accept you know, saying yes, that you didn't use government transportation to get your appointment in return. Uh, and then two, three weeks later, the treasury department will send you whatever your mileage check is to go to your appointment from your home or record. So yeah, so far so good. Yep. 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 So yeah. And, and, and you're right. You also get dependent education assistance and there's a bunch of other, you know, we could do, you could do a, we could do an entire, uh, session on, uh, benefits uh, for being 100% for what employ unemployability is and and how all that works but yeah so those are the top 10 uh top 10 list that i found that i thought was pretty interesting i think those are all very very common disabilities and there, obviously there's a few surprises in there why wasn't you know sleep that meander so i don't it's man not, it's probably not as common as we thought it was i guess so i do want to bring so up a point about that i mean cpap uh sleep apnea excuse me for, and particularly our community, you know, they, I'm sure they, it's, there's probably some connection with blast exposure, uh, diving rebreathers, uh, and those types of things. One of the things that I got to look it up here, right in my, uh, high prostratic hyper hypertrophy. I absolutely butchered that, but basically f frequency of urination. I didn't know this until, uh, a VSO, uh, talk to me about it. And then I was uh, talking to one of the NSW breachers about it. And I didn't know that was a condition that was claimable, whatever, you know, he educated me on it. You know, basically how many times do you get up to take a, a leak in the middle of the night when you're trying to sleep, you know, right. and then what does that mean? Well, blast prolonged bl blast exposure can weaken your bladder muscle. And so, that's a potential cause for you getting up and having to piss two or three times a night. And it depends on how many times you do it, whether you got to use absorb absorbent underwear or whatever, basically your depends or so on and so forth, which I'm thankfully not there yet, but uh, I didn't know that, but that's a lot of times, you know, bringing it back into the loop of getting a VSO that's knowledgeable about your previous occupation is critical to educating yourself, but also within the strategic way of the the way that your particular claim is tailored and filed i think is is really key right and, and you know that i have that specific ring prostatatic it's bph basically it's enlarged prostate and because of the enlarged prostate you have uh you have increase in frequency of urination you get up several times at night etc cetera, etc cetera. uh and and here's a little known fact and i know we kind of kind of deviating but and here's a little known fact that I think a lot of guys don't know that if you have BPH and you have prostate issues, 
and you can and you get rated for that that also leads to can cause male infertility now why is that important why do i mention that because the va will cover the cost of ivf treatments if you are found if you are diagnosed with male infertility. Now, the VA does not have a specific male infertility disability code. It's not there. You know, so it has to be, it's a secondary condition to a primary injury or illness, in, in this case, BPH, enlarged prostate issues. Um, and that's how I, uh, I, my family, that's how I was able to start a family. That's why I have two kids now. Because uh, I have, uh, I was rated for enlarged prostate, and uh, and then I started digging in, and I really started investigating. Okay, you know why can't I have kids? I'm 50 years old, never had a kid in my life, you know. And it's like, you know, okay, something's got to be wrong with me. And and so through that curiosity, uh, I finally got a urologist in the military to say, yeah, you you suffer from male infertility caused by your enlarged prostate issues. And, and, and as a result, I have two boys now because the VA recognized it and, and paid for all of my IVF. Now, how much is IVF? Well, IV, a cycle of IVF is $25,000. And some of us don't have $25,000 laying yep. around. You know, <clears throat> you know, I wish I did, but some of us don't. And even if you're well off and even if you know you got some money in the bank and you've done all the right investing, 25k is not easy to spend and it's it's a, you know and, and you know and so but the majority of americans don't have that majority of veterans don't have 25k in, a, in their in their bank to do no. that so if you are curious about that if you are trying to start a family and you've never thought about male infertility as a va disability or as an opportunity to to research the va and see if they can help you with ivf treatments here there you go I'm, I'm living proof that it happened uh, and that it works, that the VA did cover it. Well, that's good to know. But yeah. uh, well, I got to punch you out, guys. I got another call coming yep. up. But uh, that was a good episode. I, I hope uh, that one is that, that should be one that people should share as much as they can. Um, but, yeah, appreciate it. I know we got uh, is it one or two more episodes with you for this? I think we got two more. But I'll two check, more? I'll check okay. to see. Yeah, I, think, I think at least yeah, two more. Cool. We'll get on that. And then pretty soon you'll be back here in Virginia. So, yes. So yeah. Good news on that. Uh, I'll see you guys soon. All right. Well, thanks everybody. Have a good one. Jose. Appreciate you. No worries. Appreciate you guys too. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to the get to vet podcast. Make sure you subscribe to our channel and follow us on LinkedIn. If you'd like to come on the show, Email us at Mike or Trevor at gettovet.net. That's get the number two vet.net. And let us help you get to vet.